In the television show Lost, we are introduced to a group of people who have survived a plane crash and have landed on a mysterious island in the Pacific Ocean. Within the first several episodes, the survivors are split into various factions. Two of those factions are the live on the beach waiting for a rescue and the move inland group where life is easier to survive. As you can guess, these two groups are in opposition to each other. Adding to this, the peril of the survivors on, from the plane crash is that there's a shortage of drinkable water, as you heard. Uh, people are still dying since the plane crash, those who suffered wounds, and also the dangers of the island have uh, taken their toll. And then thirdly, there is this mysterious, what turns out to be a smoke monster, which got dumber as the show went on, but was really cool and mysterious during the first couple episodes. Yes, when the trees would shake and all that, so... Now, in the speech from Jack that we just watched, we see some ironic parallels to our lives today. One, they're waiting on the beach to be rescued, assuming that someone's coming, someone's coming without knowing for a fact that someone is going to come and rescue them. We find out in the show that no one is coming. Today, in the midst of this pandemic, our world has been reshuffled unlike anything we could have imagined. And some of us are waiting for a fix. We're waiting for a vaccine. We're waiting for a big solution that's going to make everything better, like it used to be, with no promise that that is actually going to happen. Second, Jack speaks to those in the group who are afraid to venture inland. And they hold these opinions for good reasons, because there are real dangers that they've seen as people have gone inland on the island. If they're too scared to go, he tells them that that view is just fine, but find another way to contribute. He implores them to give, serve, do what you can to help the community at some level if you can't do what some of us feel like we have to do. Some of us this morning are in a similar situation. We can't serve. We can't be involved. Our ministry is on hold. We don't feel comfortable coming to this gathering yet. And we want to honor and we want to respect that. But like Jack said, is there another way that we can serve in this time of transition? Is another way that we can still be involved and give to the larger community? And then thirdly, Jack gives this quote at the end. But we're all here now, and God knows how long we're going to be here. But if we can't live together, we're going to die alone. And you sense that the statement is true in the, TV, in the TV show, even as they are just beginning to learn what they know about the island up to that point. But the statement is also true for the church today, for Christians. In fact, the statement has always been true of the body of Christ, because it's in times of peril and tribulation that it is most important for the church to come together in unity. Especially when the world around us is finding any reason it can and any excuse it can to divide. The world has changed in the last three months and it may never return to what it was before. This is why we are currently teaching a series called COVID Christianity. Life has changed. People are dealing with all sorts of new realities right now. Church has changed. We see that this morning, just walking in and looking around. There are some of us who are doing okay with it. We don't love it, but we're okay with it. But many of us are not. 
Many of us here and many of us at home watching online are struggling. And for all sorts of reasons. You're struggling, but the, another person's struggling for a different reason, maybe completely opposite of what you're struggling with. And as some of the church has come back together here this morning, many have not. And we want to be gracious. And we want to be merciful and helpful to those who don't feel comfortable yet coming back because we value them. We value them greatly. There are many thoughts, feelings, perspectives that could divide and are dividing us this morning. And that is the reason for today's message, which is called Unity in a World of Discord. And God's message and challenge for us today is this. As God's beloved children, let's love each other above our personal opinions and feelings, whatever those might be. As believers, we are God's children. As God's children, we are brothers and sisters in Christ in the same family. And with that comes an obligation to each other as brothers and sisters would normally have an obligation to each other in an earthly family. And today, while not in any way our ideal form, because we are missing many valuable brothers and sisters who we would love and want to be with us here in this room, Rooftop and the Body of Christ is back together. Yes. And whether we're here or whether it's folks who are watching at home, we need to celebrate this moment. We are broken, but we are back. We are broken, but we are back. We're broken because we're not all here. And we're broken because in being here, we're limited in doing the things we want to do, hugs, conversations, intimacy, things that we've missed, that we value, that we have to hold off for the time being. But yet it's a start. And hopefully it's a starting point towards whatever that new normal is going to be, but an opportunity for us to venture back in to practice Christian community as God has asked and offered his people for 2,000 years. The fact that we are back is a big deal and it should be celebrated. Few times in the history of the church has something like this ever happened. A worldwide prohibition on the church meeting together I don't know of anything similar. What we're living through is truly unprecedented and historic. And as we delve further into our message today and the topic of unity and discord, we must remember first and foremost that the reality, this reality of us being back together should generate in our heart a feeling of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. As believers, that should be our foremost feeling is gratitude to God that we're able to have this day and come back together here, together. This leads us to our second point, which I alluded to, and that's this. Right now, there are deep opinions and issues that separate the church. As I said, many people are struggling. Some of us in here this room, in here today, we're struggling. Many more who are at home watching are struggling. And this is where our enemy, Satan, the devil, is going to work. He is going to find that line of frustration and anger, and he is going to try to divide and separate, however he does it. He doesn't care which angle you come from, but if he can get us to make self-centered, isolating choices 
he wins. The Bible very, very clearly commands us to love one another. It's the greatest commandment after loving God in the Bible. And some people in our church see this command to love one another expressed in the doing whatever we have to do to improve the health and safety for anyone who could be at risk. This belief leads some people to think that being here today at Rooftop is honestly, it's too soon. That we are not taking the dangers and the recommended precautions seriously enough. And you know what? They may be right. You may be right. At the same time, the Bible gives a warning to those who lean in this direction, a warning to protect them from the enemy who wants to play on this deeply held opinion and, and, and feeling. It tells us to be careful not to love your life too much. Don't love your health, your wealth, your popularity, your influence, your family, your friends. Don't love anything in this world too much because there is always the danger of making the best of things an idol if it ultimately gets in the way of worshiping God foremost and following and obeying him. Jesus says this multiple times in the Gospels. In Luke 17, 23, Luke records him making this proclamation, whoever seeks to preserve their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will, will keep it. Now, this is contrarian thinking in our world that puts so much emphasis on health and safety. I mean, the media is just bombarding us with all the different situations and conflicts and all the stuff. And, and the motive is good in the protection of the society, but being inundated with this can create a, a panic or a fear in people. And we need to be careful of that. And then there's the other view on the other side of the spectrum, so to speak, if there is in fact a spectrum. And this view reads God's word and his commands for us to meet together always regardless. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We read these words, and in our love for Jesus, we, we throw caution to the wind. The people of God have always met, regardless of what was happening in the world. That was the one thing we could count on, is the church coming together. When the bubonic plague was ravaging Europe and, and, and during the Middle Ages, or any other pestilence, followers of Jesus didn't run away from it. They didn't hide. They didn't isolate. They were the ones meeting together. They were the ones going into the villages. They were the ones putting their lives on the line to be the hands and feet of Jesus where it was needed most. This is the glorious history of the Christian church, laying down our lives to do what everyone else was too afraid to do. And they see this opportunity today when the world is on lockdown, when the world is saying isolate, when the world is saying hide, when the world is saying be afraid. They see the opportunity for the people of God to fear not. Which, by the way, is a command God gives over 200 times throughout the Bible. Fear not. But is our zeal for this principle and this virtue overshadowing our zeal for love and kindness? 
Now, I'm not saying it is if you hold this view, but it's an important question to consider at least. What are our motives? I've had to do some reflection. What are my motives in the beliefs that I hold and the opinions that I have? This is what we Christians do. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to evaluate our thoughts, the smallest, minute thoughts and motives of why we do what we do, asking God to reveal to us where we might be in error, where we might be in sin and short-sighted. Because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount speaks to this opinion. He tells somebody, when someone takes your coat, give them your hat and your scarf as well. He actually says give them your tunic, but I don't think anyone wears a tunic anymore, really, at least not in our part. So hat and scarf works for the translation for our modern day. He also tells the people that when someone forces you to go one mile, offer a second. Now, you might not know this, but a Roman soldier could force a non-Roman citizen to carry his military gear for a mile. That was Roman law to ease the burden that he had of having to carry it on his travels. And what Jesus is saying, and people abhorred that law, violated their sacred existence. And Jesus said, you know what? Offer a second mile for free. We see this example from Jesus most clearly when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 describing exactly what Jesus did. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, he says this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus, more than anyone who has ever lived, had the right not to do what he did. His rights as the creator God of the universe are infinitely greater than any rights we might have given from the Bill of Rights or from natural rights, whatever we feel we're entitled to. And yet Jesus willingly gave up those rights. And why? First, to honor and glorify his Father God as it says later in Philippians 2. And secondly, to show his immeasurable love for us, for you and me who were trapped and condemned in our sin. Jesus died, and every step in his life on that path to the cross is an example of him giving up his rights so that you and I might be saved through his generous love for us. Now, I have surely oversimplified the complexity of these differing views that we all hold, but my objective is to illustrate and emphasize that we all, in fact, have different views, strongly held views. And what's our goal with these views? Do we want to change people's minds to, to agree with us? Maybe. But at what cost? This is a disputable issue. Unless eternal salvation is on the line within the body of Christ, this is what the Bible refers to as disputable issues. And we need to remember that. We need to discuss these and, and consider these as such, no matter how strongly we might hold them. The Christian way is to love one another and to value their opposing view, especially if it's different than mine. 
This shows God's love, his supernatural love, and it reveals the beauty of the church when the church is unified with the differing opinions and views that we all hold. Paul speaks of this very directly in Romans 15. Romans 15, verses 1 through 3. He says this, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for their good to build them up. For Christ did not please himself. So the question we have from this verse is, is this. Who is strong? Well, you want to know the answer? You are. I am. Any of us who think we're right on an issue, we're the strong one. So congratulations. If you think your reasons for whatever are right, which obviously we all do, you're strong, as am I. We're the strong one this morning. And what does God say is the privilege of the strong one, what they're supposed to do? We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Did you catch the word failings? Paul doesn't use those who disagree with us. He goes a step further, and he says failings, as in, I'm right, I perceive in your being incorrect that you are failing at some level. I mean, that's a strong assertion. That's not just saying we have to agree to disagree. No, I'm convicted deeply in what I think, and I believe you're wrong, and in that wrong, you might be failing at some level. People, yourself, your family, whatever. And what is the command for the strong one? Not just to put up with, but to bear with the failings that you see and observe. This is a powerful word, a powerful exhortation from Paul to us. And bear means to, to come alongside, to, to strive with. And that's what God's going to ask of us in the days and the weeks and the months ahead as we figure our way through this new reality that we're in. This is my challenge. I love being right. And I'm pretty confident that I'm right most all the time. I know. I know you agree too. Um, and you know what that means for me though. That has, an obli- that has implications for me. And the implications are this. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to care for and regard more highly than myself those who think differently, especially if I think they might be wrong. I'm supposed to love them, esteem them, serve them with the love of God. God shows us that even in the midst of COVID-19, being right is not the objective. It's not what's important. But rather, truly loving those who might be wrong is the greater impetus, the greater virtue for the follower of Jesus. Because that's where we're really tested. And this leads us to our third and final point. And that's this. We must focus on the things that bind us together more than that which divides us. We should not abandon our opinions and principles that we've come to with the virus and the shutdown. We're not going to anyway, as much as we might tell each other. We just don't give up the things that make us who we are. We're smart and insightful people. And we all believe generally the same thing. We just value different aspects of that belief system more than other things. 
I'm valuing this above this, and that leads to a direction, whereas you value this above this. We both value it. It's just where we place preeminence or prominence of value. We're the same with the slightest of differences that are leading to the the actions that we might disagree on. But we need to find and bind together on the things that we do agree on more than that which separates us. Let's love and respect each other for the virtue of the opinions each other has that we disagree with. This is a core value here at Rooftop, learning from those who think differently, deeply, think deeply differently than we do. Loving each other in the midst of our differences. This was Jesus' prayer to the Father right before he went to the cross. He said, Father, may they, your children, my brothers and sisters, us, be one even as you and I are one. Jesus Christ and our allegiance to him is what binds us together. And it's not that we don't have deeply held, intelligent, important views on everything that is going on. We do. You do. But we agree together as God's church that loving each other above those opinions, those perspectives, is more important for the Christian because of what Jesus Christ did and because of who he was. So in conclusion, it's what Jack said back on the beach. We have to stop waiting. We don't know when this is going to end, and it's probably never getting back to what it was before. We just can't sit around and wait. We have to start living at some level, figuring out how do we live and push through whatever this new reality is. Also, if you can't or don't think you can do what others are doing, if you can't come here, if you can't be involved at certain levels that you used to be involved, can we stay united nonetheless? Can those who don't feel enabled to jump in yet, can they find another way to contribute, to stay involved, to stay united in spirit, wherever that might have to take place from? We're all here now, as Jack said. We're all here now, and God knows how long we're going to be here. And that's the truest thing that he said. This COVID craziness, God only knows how long this is going to go and where it's going to go. And rather than tell us exactly what those details are, more emphatically, he wants his people to do it together. So let's do this together. Let's do this one week at a time, figuring it out, making mistakes, correcting those mistakes, giving each other grace, being humble, serving one another, looking past our own desires to serve other people more, pleading with the Holy Spirit, for the power, and it's only going to come from him, it's supernatural, the power to love each other as Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Father, we, we're here, broken, in this room as a church body, having limped in this morning, but we're here, and we pray, we plead for your help. We plead for your grace and your power to be the overcoming church that the church has been for 2,000 years. We might not feel very overcoming right now, Lord, but we're the same church that took down an empire 1,700 years ago. I ask for your help. We cry out for your grace and your power and your strength and your love 
to be the church that you are calling us to be in this time and in this place, Lord. We want to love you. We want to serve you. We want to be a light to the world. And we need your help, your power to do that. And we will commit to being united, to sticking together. Come what may. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.